Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. I'd never fished that bank, ever, and I had been through there a hundred times. Over the course of the next hour, those two guys caught six fish over four pounds, and the biggest one was almost seven. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. Today, I've got an awesome episode for y'all. Got to sit down with Donovan Clary out of Oklahoma. He's a fishing guide over there, um, mostly fly fishing, but does a little bit of everything. And actually, our first Oklahoman Ozarkian. Ozarkian from Oklahoma. There is a little sliver, if you look at the Ozark Plateau of Ozarks, that kind of reach over there, you know, the foothills and whatnot. Um, So... I'm excited to to have Donovan on. Um, you guys are gonna love this episode. We we talk some really good stuff. Um, and man, I love Donovan's approach to fishing. He's he's got a lot of data uh, that he's that he uses as well as just a ton of experience that he has. But uh, we talk about fishing opportunities in the Ozarks of Oklahoma. Uh, Donovan does a deep dive, and I mean deep dive on the Illinois River and how to fish it, and, and why it's really important to know your bait fish just as well as you know your target species that you're going after. And then um, one of my favorite things that he he has done, he's actually gone back to 1980 and compiled data from 1980 up until now uh, from Game and & Fish. And it's, and it's sign surveys and it's krill surveys and it's, you know, stomach contents. And he did this to figure out what is the majority of the smallmouth diet and... Um, he, he tells in the episode what 98% of the smallmouth diet is. And believe it or not, it's not crawdads and it's not helgramites. So y'all check out the episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. Donovan, thanks for coming on the call tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Uh, yeah, I, I checked about an hour ago and we're at like six and a half inches. So uh, big, heavy, wet snow. Kid built a snowman in like five minutes and... Uh, Dude. Yeah. Uh, big, big change from the 70 degree weather we had over the weekend, you know? Oh, no kidding, man. That's uh, that's some serious stuff. We, I think right now over here is probably about an inch or two at this point, but six is, that's like, that's consider it's considerable. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it, it was, you know, several degrees above freezing this morning. So, uh, but it came down, it came down pretty hard all day and then kind of let up now, but, um, uh, it's dropped too. It's it's quite a bit colder now than it was earlier. Yeah. Any any chance you you were outside fishing even in the snowstorm today? No. Today, <laughs> uh, I've been been tying flies today. I've go to uh, Possum Kingdom down in uh, North Texas, uh, okay. fishing yeah. a tailwater below Possum Kingdom with uh, Fort Worth fly fishers this weekend. So I was. Um, Filling up some boxes and and tying some flies that that I normally don't fish with that most likely I'm gonna need down there. Yeah, 
Nice. Yeah, it's a good so, day to stay, in, stay in. Exactly. Enjoyed sitting inside looking out the window. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I know I know you do a lot of tying and and actually how how I discovered you was was on Facebook and and you do a lot of tying and you you kind of you show your flies and you say, you know, what what you're fishing right now and you do some tying videos, I know, and and so you spend a lot of time making content with the tying it was a day one of those days where you're kind of putting out some content and filming some of the stuff you're doing it, it was yeah it was uh talk to talk to you know a lot of guys uh, are, are headed to this uh, this outing this event um i don't know if you're familiar with the fort worth club down there but they're they're pretty pretty large there's going to be a lot of people there and uh anyway but the the bug population down there is pretty diverse um and especially with the the weather patterns that we've been having lately, you know, they've been having some pretty consistent hatches Okay. and I've talked to several of the guys that fished there, um, recently this past weekend, you know, what were you catching them on? How are you catching them? So, um, going to end up getting to, to show some people how to Euro nymph while I'm down there and they've got low flow. So low water conditions, clear water conditions, uh, which isn't really conducive for, you know, traditional style Euro nymphing, okay. uh, running heavy, heavy flies and fishing deep. So going to have to make some changes, but, uh, yeah, that's all I was doing is tying some small emergers, a lot of midges, um, you know, talking to guys about that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I, I, uh, I, you know, like I said, I, I saw you on Facebook and I've, I've actually followed you for a while on there, just your page and, and, um, you know, kind of see what you're putting out just to kind of see what's going on in places in the Ozarks. But we actually had, um, I think two different listeners reach out and say that they were like, man, Donovan Clary, this guy is constantly putting out stuff. He's always on Facebook. He like this dude, he knows what he's doing. He fishes year round and he, and you fish a lot of different species too, which I think is cool because it can be easy to kind of get, you know, zoned in on on just i want to just fish trout or i'm just going yeah, after smallmouth right. or striper or whatever it is and so to kind of see how you you know transition from season to season and go in and, and fish different stuff and it's not all fly fishing you do spin fishing i know you do you take people out and you kind of cater the trip to like what's going on what they want to do what their skill level is is that kind of how you approach things oh yeah yeah 100 percent. you know i mean uh, for a, a long time, I started doing this in, in 1992 and, you know, hit and miss, you know, all through there uh, was, you know, times where, you know, had a nine to five, um, you know, had an insurance uh, agency and was selling insurance for a while and, you know, didn't really like that. I wanted to fish, but, uh, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't do it. Oklahoma isn't one of those places where you think you can, you know, that you could guide fishing trips or guide fly fishing trips and, you know, and, and be consistent enough to, to actually make a living. Yeah. It's not what and, people think uh, of when they think of fishing guides. They think of that's right. Colorado. That's right. They so, think of Wyoming. You know, what happened, um, you know, all along, you know, in the beginning, I, my, my draw was trout. You know, I loved the bugs, you know, digging in the water, you know, turning over rocks and finding out the hatches, you know, and tying bugs to match. And, uh, but, you know, here uh, above Tin Killer Lake, the the Illinois River, it, it's it, we're still in the Ozarks. You know, we're on the the foothills or the outer outer lying edges of the Ozarks, but we're still in the Ozarks. And you know, the Illinois River is one of the biggest rivers in the Ozarks. Yeah, not 
flow or, or not in length, but in flow, uh, you know, basically in size, I guess. But, you know, so during the summers, you know, the especially in the spring, um, it, it was hard to focus on trout fishing just because, you know, trout fishing below 10 Killer Lake on the Illinois River, it's tailwater. Mm-hmm. And the, the lake catches, I think the drainage basin for Ten Killer Lake is like 2,900 miles. Okay. And uh, it goes all the way into northwest, north central Arkansas, e- even, um, you know, parts of Can. Well, I guess the drainage up there would probably end up in the Elk River. But, I mean, the drainage basin, it, it, it's it's huge. So the, the lake catches a lot of water and then, you know, the river it's just tough to fish the river when the 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 flow's unpredictable you yeah, know the they'll sure. they'll dump you know run max flow and the river will be up 11 feet and they'll shut it off and it'll drop 11 feet and eight hours later it comes right back on <clears throat> so all i'm getting at is you know once you get into the summer months especially into the spring and summer months wet season a lot of runoff summer power demands you know they're they're harnessing power uh, out of the generators at the lake. So it, it it's tough to plan any kind of trips ahead of time because you're always at the mercy of what's happening yeah. uh, with the with the dam. And, you know, you can go out and you can catch fish when they are generating, but you're not going to go out and catch fish like you would when they weren't okay. generating. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So, you know, what happens, some guys come in to trout fish and uh, a, a flood come. They, they schedule a trip, flood comes the week before, the lake's rising, the lake's high. Everything above gets kind of back to normal, but the lake's still up. They're letting a lot of water out. And basically, the trout fishing was, was going to be horrible if we if we went. So the guys were like, well, what else can we do? You know, we don't want to – we don't have to go trout fishing. What else can we do? I said, man, we can go catch some smallmouth above the lake. And, oh, my God, man, they were they were like, oh, yeah? Well, what, what are they? You know, what kind of – like big smallmouth? I said, well, you know, these are Neosho bass, actually. You know, they're a subspecies of a smallmouth. But there's also smallmouth up there, too. So, anyway, we go up, and, and at this time, we're just wade fishing. I didn't I didn't even have any rafts <coughs> or a drift boat at the time. And we just go up, and we wade fish. And, dude, these guys were like, we're coming back. Yeah. How many guys can we bring with us? You know, when can we come back? Oh, so, that got me thinking, you know, and and – Fast forward, you know, 20 years. Now the, the draw to come to Oklahoma to fish is smallmouth on the Illinois River above Ten Killer Lake. Yeah. You know, mainly for the size of the smallmouth, um, which we've got the Neoshos, which are native to the to the Ozarks. But in the early 80s, the Wildlife Department, they stocked northern strain from Kentucky Lake okay. in Ten Killer Lake. And they've been migrating up the river. To a certain, I mean, there, there's a lot of speculation as to how high they go or how far the, um, the 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 lake fish or the northern strain smallmouth have actually migrated. They don't like the current. You know, they'll get up there. But what's happening now is, you know, we're getting these half-breeds, these 50-50 fish that are Neoshos. And, and they've got the characteristics and the feeding habits of the Neoshos, but they've got the size, you know, and the aggressiveness yeah, and the fight. of the lake fish. And, you know, those are those five and six pounders that we're catching. Oh, dude. And as a conservationist, it sucks because the numbers of the Neoshos are definitely going down. I yeah. mean, there's, there's been research done, you know, surveys, and they know that the, the, the population of Neoshos has, you know, shrunk. But as a fisherman, you know, 
right now, I mean, it's at the height to where, you know, you, 30 years ago when I would float down the river in a, in a canoe and, you know, you, you wouldn't see bait fish like we do now. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're seeing, you know, big thread fin shad that are, you know, the size of your hand. And you, you, you see these things getting chased by, you know, smallmouth and they're jumping, you know, they're skipping, they're traced, they're getting out of the water. And, you know, you know, really the only thing in there that could be eating them other than the smallmouth is going to be a gar. And chances are they're not chasing, you know, live fish or, yeah. or, 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 you know, fish like that. And then catfish. So, anyway, just super interesting that, that guys are coming from, you know, all over the country. I got a small group of guys that come from Wisconsin every summer mm-hmm. that's, you know, the smallmouth mecca of the world. And they come to Oklahoma to catch smallmouth. Yeah, that's crazy. And <laughs> luckily I got hooked up with those guys early on. And, you know, that is what really opened my eyes. That was a light switch to me. It's like, hey, man, trout are fine and all, but these smallmouth, that's the draw. Yeah. That's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm going to market and that's what I'm going to get good at fishing. And, you know, I've spent 20 years or almost 20 years of my life trying to figure out how to catch them and as learning as much about it as I can along the way. And, you know, I still learn stuff every day and talk to as many people as I can about you know, their experiences and what they've done and where they've been and, you know, try to keep notes of it all. And someday, hopefully it'll all pay off and help me out one way or the other, you know, as far as finding where they're at or figuring out how to catch them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was something that I remember uh, the first kind of the first time we talked, I'm just kind of thinking about doing an episode together. I remember you mentioning one that the population of the the neo show was dwindling and and at a faster rate than i think uh biologists were you know i think faster than what they thought right and, and right. I, that's significant because and i think we've talked about this on the podcast before in past episodes but um maybe if you could just go into like the emphasis on the neo show and kind of how that's almost like in a way it's native to the ozarks it's kind of like a symbol of the ozarks people like you said come from all over just to catch the neo show yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, um, you know, two other guys, uh, that I've, I've gotten to know, uh, they're from England and they're species guys mm. and, uh, you know, had a, had a phone call with them and they wanted to catch gar spotted gar, uh, short nose, long nose gar. And, uh, anyway, we get to talking on the phone and I start telling them about the Neo show bass and they're like, well, what is that? And I'm like, well, you know, it's a subspecies of smallmouth, uh, but, you know, they, they tend to follow the feeding habits more closely to a trout as far as moving up into the shallows, um, you know, and, and, and just their, their mannerisms. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll eat a fly swung in the current, you know, stripping streamers like a trout. Uh, but they'll also, you know, wait in ambush, um, you know, around cover and, and, and blow up on top water. And, you know, they're, they're just the ultimate fly rod species. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, when the guys come over, you know, they're they're here for three days and we've got three days just jam packed of, you know, we're going here, we're doing this, we're leaving there, we're doing this. And, you know, we'll eat lunch on the road and we're going here and we're doing this. And anyway, by the, you know, the the start of the second day, uh, we jump in the rafts and and start floating a, a section of the Illinois River to catch smallmouth. And that's where we spent the entire second day and went back for the third day, man. And, uh, you know, so the, the Neo show is native to the Ozarks. Um, you know, I, I don't know, uh, 
like the Gasconade and some of the other bigger rivers over there, the Current River, um, Eleven Point, you know, some of the other um, streams in the Ozarks. I don't know how it compares to the Illinois as far as population goes. Sure. Uh, but I do know there's not a lot of places um, that has the size. You know, I just see the stuff on, you know, on the Internet. And, and that's not taking anything away from um, – you know, Missouri uh, and other streams in the Ozarks, but the food source that we have here is very diverse as far as, um, you know, different species of bait fish, uh, different types of water in the river, uh, varying flows, uh, springs coming in, you know, side channels, backwaters, deep, slow pools with a lot of cover, uh, shallow pools, you know, with riffles, um, oxygen, you know, influx of cool water coming in from springs. Um, and then, the you know, the bait fish population that we have here compared to some of the other streams that I've researched and fished. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're it's kind of unique with the way that the lake and the, and the river coincide, you know, with each other. Um, How so? Well, the lake, you know, like the past couple of years, uh, development northwest Arkansas basically uh, the the river has caught a lot of runoff I think we get we rich uh, we were into flood stage last year like 12 times oh okay um, and then the year before it was even more than that um, I don't remember the three years ago I don't think we got to flood stage as as many times but you know the lake got to like 36 feet 35 feet above normal mm. and stayed there for like three months. Oh, wow. Um, and what happens is when that happens, you know, the water backs up the lake so far uh, that the bait fish, especially if it happens early in the spring and it's the time that the spawn's happening, here come the shad. And, you know, 20 years ago when I would go up there and wade fish and float a kayak and, you know, just, just goofing off, you would never see threadfin shad. Mm, okay. Um, and and, and if I did, yeah. Yeah, they just they weren't in the river, but once the river started backing up and the lake started flooding, now you could go up there and I mean you could fill a school bus up with shad that you see before lunch, mm. and uh, you know in big ones I'm talking like eight to ten inch, oh wow, big big threadfin shad, yeah. and you know that's not to say that smallmouth are eating them, but you know I do know for a fact that an 18 and a half inch smallmouth had a nine inch sand bass lodged in her gullet that was taken out and put on a bump board. I got pictures of that. No so, way. you know, I know that those fish are getting eight. Yeah. Um, if it's happening a lot or if it's happening, you know, consistently, but the fish are getting big and the food source is there. And, uh, you know, there, there, there's, there's no shortage of, of forage for the fish to eat. Yeah. So if the lake wasn't there and, and, and the river, you know, the, the Illinois where I float and where I fish is about 40 miles. There's about 60 miles of river before, you know, once it crosses out of Arkansas into Oklahoma, there's about 60 miles of river before it turns into 10 killer Lake. I fish about 40 miles of that. And then okay. the spring will start up at the top and we'll fish the, the upper, what I would call the upper third. And then in the, the summers, um, you know, we'll end up working our way down. And once you get later in the summer, low water, normally we're down closer to the lake. 
And you know, you can see the populations of bait fish, the populations of the fish that you're catching as far as the size and the numbers between, you know, spotted bass, largemouth, neosho bass, the dirty neoshos, which, you know, a mean mouth or um, a hybrid uh, northern strain neosho. Um, the neoshos tend to be farther up in the stream. Okay. Shallower water, higher flows. Uh, more volatility. And downstream in the deeper water, the slower pools, that's where you're going to find, um, you know, more of the, the lake fish or the northern strain smallmouth. Um, and then the spotted bass are going to be kind of in between. Okay, gotcha. Um, but the size of the, of the spotted bass, uh, to be honest with you, man, early spring, a couple of the biggest spots that I've ever seen have came from 30 miles up the river. Really? But late in the summer all those bigger spots tend to be lower down in the river, closer to the lake. Gotcha. So, how, so I why do you they, move down like that? Kind of that progression. Why do you start at the, at the upper and then work your way down through the summer? Flows, amounts of water, um, you know, in the spring, high runoff, you know, the, the flows are a little bit higher. Water's a little bit deeper. You know, once you get up river, um, in the beginning, you know, I always wanted a drift boat and, uh, the first drift boat I got was a, um, uh, McKenzie, uh, honest to goodness, wooden, you know, oh. 17, 16 and a half foot McKenzie, you know, the thing weighed 3000 pounds yeah. <laughs> and it was awesome, Cool, you know, but it, it was not practical. It wasn't what I needed for, for what I was trying to do. So, you know, the, the thing about the Illinois is you, you're going to have the, these flows and these shoals that you're going to get into a deep hole that's going to average eight foot deep and it's going to be minimal flow. And then you're going to get into a shoal or a gravel bar that's going to be just a couple of inches deep. Uh, so, you know, with that bigger boat, we were having to, you know, drag a lot in the summer. So we started moving further downstream just where, you know, a, a, a little more flow, a little more water, a little more depth. Yeah. Um, and then once I got to the rafts and, you know, now we can we can float three guys in three inches of water and we're not having to get out and, you know, portage is not as big of a deal, but I noticed right away that the the quality of the fish that we were catching, <coughs> excuse me, was suffering to where, you know, if, if we stay closer to that, you know, that normal flow or that deeper water, um, we would catch, you know, our, our, our average size would be a little bit higher. Gotcha. You know, numbers, numbers don't really fluctuate that much, but... Um, I think those bigger fish in the in the late summer, when the water, when the water levels go down, when the oxygen levels go down, you know, I think they move. I think they move down. Yeah, um, and so, get into those deeper holds. So that that heavier boat, in a way, kind of kept you in the right spot, just because you were yep. following the flow, because you needed to, just by necessity. But it's actually you noticed when you switched to the raft, you needed to be back in the that's right in the deeper water. That's right. That's Got right. It. Okay. That's right. Yeah, cool. So so whenever you're kind of you know progressing and and you see kind of the transition from, you know, early spring to peak spring to summer and all that, does your presentation change, you know, drastically? Are you throwing completely different stuff throughout the months? Kind of what's the walk me through how you think about the timeline? Well, so bait fish, you know, 100%. If um you know, if you're coming to the Illinois River and you're going to fish, I can tell you 98% of the time, 
a, a, a smallmouth eats, 98% of the time it's eating a bait fish. Okay. And that's from 14, almost, I guess, 15 years of surveys that I've compiled and collected from the, the fisheries biologists and their sane surveys, um, their krill surveys, even some stomach content surveys, you know, where um, I, I, I made contact with one of the fisheries biologists and got to know him and, uh, you know, we get to talking and, and I started asking him, I'm like, hey, man, I'm like, of these surveys you guys got, I said, can you tell me about them? I said, you know, on the Illinois River, what 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 are the smallmouth eating? And he's like, well, what are you trying to figure out exactly? You know, I said, man, I want to know what I can put in front of a smallmouth, and he is going to eat it every time. Yeah. And the first thing that he tells me that I haven't really thought about, and I don't know if a lot of guys have 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 researched this or thought about it, but smallmouth are visual feeders. Okay. I mean, they've got big lateral lines. You know, they, they've got ear, ears. Um, everybody, you know, they they talk, you know, Grandpa talked about, you know, be quiet, you know, don't talk loud, fish can hear you, blah, blah, blah. Well, they can't really hear you. You know, they decipher sound differently. But uh, a smallmouth is a lot more of a visual feeder than any of the other bass species. Okay. Um, so that got me thinking, well, you know, in the beginning, I would tie clousers. You know, clousers were easy to tie. A lot of gray over white, a lot of chartreuse in white, you know, all chartreuse, um, some olives. But, you know, they, they were just basically three-inch long bait fish patterns, and <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of <clears throat> uh, visual, you know, changes or characteristics to it. You know, they're just you know, a couple of lateral lines contrasting each other and they're three inches long. Well, um, so anyway, you know, I asked him, so what, what is in a smallmouth diet in the Illinois River that I can throw in front of them and they're going to eat it a hundred, you know, every time. Yeah. And he's like, well, what do you think? What do you think their main food source is? I said, man, I would say Helgramites and crawdads. Yeah. And he, he's like 2% combined. Dude. <laughs> and I'm like, well, is that 2% combined in season? Like, because I know crawdads are more plentiful at certain times of the year. And he's like, do you ever see very many crawdads in Illinois? And I said, you know, honestly, I don't. I said, it's just in certain areas where there's like big chunk rock or, you know, in, in, in an outside corner where, um, you know, like a like a rock face is sloughed off or, you know, th most of it's pea gravel and just don't really see crawdads. Yeah. And he's like, no, nah, there's not very there's not a very good population of crawdads. He said in Helgramites combined, that's about 2% of their diet. And uh, I said, well, what is it? He said, it's bait fish. And he says, and it's seasonal. It's, it's bait fish in certain certain areas of the river and, you know, certain types of water and certain times of the year, different species of bait fish are their primary food source and, and it changes from month to month. So... You know, I found that interesting, and I started researching it. I started researching the the bait fish species. <clears throat> you know, so then my question was, well, what's the most plentiful bait fish in the Illinois River? And he's yeah. like, well, the upper the upper part, the middle part, or the lower part. I'm like, well, what are you telling <laughs> oh, me? And he's like, it's all different. You know, certain parts of the river has more species of certain types of bait fish because of the water quality, you know, and the water types. And uh, so basically, um, I can tell you that the number one food source for for smallmouth in the Illinois River, dating back as long as they've been collecting these surveys, which is the late 80s, 
is called a central stone roller. I was going to guess that and, because you've put it yep. on your Facebook and I was like, I need to remember that one. <laughs> yep. So the central stone roller, and I'm sure that some of the other streams in the Ozarks are, are, are the same. I mean, you know, the, a, a lot of these, the, the, the highest population of bait fish in the Illinois river 12 months out of the year is the Ozark minnow. Okay. And, and it's top three, depending on the type of water you're in, the time of year that you're fishing, it's always in the top three, just because of population. And you the know this because of those those surveys that and that data you collected. Yeah, those so surveys. Cool. So I took these surveys and and they date back to like the late '80s, '86, I think, is the the farthest one back that I've I've gotten. And you know the those surveys and and it'll give you a you know a fish count. Um, you know, for specific stretches of the river and, you know, you can look at the population and, and, you know, you can kind of tell, well, this month in the year, you know, was say August or, you know, December and, you know, winter months versus summer months, spring months versus fall months. Um, and then you can do some research on those types of bait fish and some of them want backwater, low flow, um, a lot of sun. Some of them want deep water. Some of them want vegetation. Some of them hang out around grass. Some of them want to be around rocks or timber. And, you know, so you can kind of, once you learn the river, you know that, hey, man, we're coming up on this shallow flat. It's in the sun and there's a lot of grass. Well, carmine shiners or silver shiners, that's what they're going to, that's what's going to be in here. And, you know, that's what the fish are most likely going to be feeding on because the central stone rollers aren't in this type of water because we're on, you know, some bedrock flat or some big clay bank. And the central stone rollers, they want to be in moderate current uh, around chunk rock. Um, same thing, you know, Ozark minnows, they're going to want to be in, in higher flows, mid, moderate current anyway, shallower water. So uh, just changing the approach to you know, the, the, the type of bait fish that we're throwing in the type of waters that we're fishing. And, you know, that, that has, it's been a game changer, man. And, yeah. and I mean, it's taken it into directions that I've never, you know, cause like I said, in the beginning, man, give me a white over green or, you know, chartreuse over white or gray over white clouser and I'm fishing Yeah, and, 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 and catching some fish. But, you know, the thing about smallmouth is something that a lot of guys also may not know is that a, a, an 18 inch smallmouth in the Illinois river averages 10 years old. Okay. And I've asked the guys about it. And I said, all right, man. So if an 18 inch smallmouth is 10 years old, how old's a 20 inch smallmouth? They're like, maybe 20. Oh, wow. Don't know. I'm like, well, how big, how, how old is a 22 inch smallmouth? And like, I don't know. We've, we've never, you know, we've <laughs> never taken a sample from one that big. And I'm like, well, I've seen them. You know, yeah. I've caught them. I've seen them at 24 inches. No way. So, you know, if a 20-inch smallmouth, if, it, if an 18-inch smallmouth is 10 years old, um, you know, they, they, they're just super slow-growing fish. They're visual feeders, and you can't tell me that a fish that's been in the river for 10 years hasn't seen a thing or two and isn't smart enough to realize every fish I'm seeing up here is one of these three different species and all of a sudden, here comes this big gray over white one or <laughs> this chartreuse one. You know, they, they just, they're smarter than people give them credit as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I, I think if you, 
I think if you put a little bit of research into it and <clears throat> approach it from that angle that these fish are seeing the same types of bait fish over and over and over, and if you throw them something from left field, sure, man, you may trick one or two of them or, you know, get lucky and catch three or so, but, you know, it it has changed my success rate and, and the size of fish that I'm seeing getting put in the net. You know, I wouldn't say drastically, but yeah, there's no doubt that it's helped. Yeah, you can definitely no tell that it's helped. You've yeah. gone to that that kind of next level. I I love that just because it's like I mean it makes total sense. Like if you take a step back and you think about it, you know, a clouster is a great imitation of a lot of different things, but it's not specific enough to imitate any one fish that you know that you're trying to imitate. Especially that's if right. you're talking about one river, and that's the one river you fish and like you're always going to fish there, it's probably worthwhile to like tie something that resembles at least something in the, in that river. And two, I even love how you were talking about like knowing the habits of the bait fish and knowing where they yeah. like, because a lot of times people stop at like, Oh, well this is where smallmouth want to be, but they don't go to yeah. that next level for like what their bait fish sure. and their food want to be. That's right. And, and, you know, and, and I, I grew up bass fishing, you know, largemouth, and, and you take a purple worm, or a white buzz bait, or yeah. <laughs> a Colorado leaf white spinner bait, and boom, you go out and you fish and you catch them. And you can you can take that approach. I did it for years on the river, you know, a, a white shad pattern of some kind, and you know, intermediate line, and I'm catching fish, and, and you know, tie on a black or an olive woolly booger, and you're catching fish. But you know, I would see these big fish every once in a while. You know, we would catch one or catch one on, you know, a popper or something. It, it seemed, for the longest time, it seemed like all of the big fish, and, and, I, and I say a big smallmouth is like three pounds or bigger. Okay. It was like every one of them was caught on topwater, like poppers. <clears throat> so then it got, I got into this rut to where all I wanted to do was fish topwaters, and you, you get into these different water types to where they weren't really conducive to fishing, you know, a, a top water, a popper or a diver or, you know, something, uh, uh, surface bait. And it, it, the numbers just went down. Yeah. You know, the, it's like we may feast catch or famine. One big one. Yeah. 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 You may go out and, 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 you know, a lot of guys that I get to fish with, you know, they'll show up and, you know, they'll have all these different flies and they're like, hey, man, I, I tied this and this is what they smallmouth with fish here. And, you know, they catch a bunch of them on this, uh, you know, Lake Champlain, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, we can throw that stuff. But <laughs> I, I can tell you right now the, the Carmine Shiners are spawning and they're red and right now we need to be throwing something that that's got some red in it and it's about two and a half inches long and we need that dude in in riffles and on the ed edges of eddies and current seams and we don't need to be super super deep yeah and uh anyway you know usually most of the guys now that that i fish with consistently and year after year you know we don't butt heads but most of the time um you can show them pretty quickly, you know, just by seeing the fish where they're feeding and, you know, they'll, they'll push bait fish up to the top and then blow up on them. But yeah, just approaching it as to, you know, this is an area or type of water that smallmouth want to be in, you know, that's great, but that's only half of the puzzle, you know, 
you, you just because you know where they're at, the bigger trick is figuring out what they're going to eat, when they're going to eat it, and you know to 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 be a hundred percent truthful with the those species and those types of bait fish, man, some of them they're in different types of water. Yeah. So you have to figure out, you know, uh, at this time of year, this is their you know, top three food sources, and this is the type of water that this specific food source wants to be in. So this is what we're going to fish with. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, here's plan B and here's plan C, but this is what should work. Um, and then you make a corner or, you know, you make it to the end of a big pool and you get into a different water type and you have another rod rigged up with, you know, 350 grain sink tip line and a, you know, five inch thread fin shatter, shad pattern. And you start stripping that thing around cover. Yeah. But, uh, you know, most of those, most of those fish are feeding smaller than what, um, what we want, you know, I mean, yeah. very few big fish. I would say, so this year, um, well, this past summer, I had 21 smallmouth over 18 inches that I that I can remember, that I kept a log of. And this is counting, um, is this just you or you and your clients? No, no, no. You and me with people in my raft okay, with me. Okay, got it. So we caught tw- 21 fish over 18 inches long. And the biggest one this year was 23 and three quarter inches. Okay. Um but we had several fish that were, were over 20 inches. Um, and honestly, man, I don't think any of those fish ate a fly that was bigger than five inches. Really? Most most of them were three and a half to four inch long patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most of them were central stone rollers, Ozark minnows, and banded darters. Those those are the three. Carmine shiners was a was a big one, but, you know, those are pretty limited. They... they uh, carmines turn to a red color. They're they're very very um, colorful. Yeah. But they're only colorful while they're spawning. Okay. And then after they're spawned, they they pretty much lose their coloration and look a lot like a silver shiner. But uh, carmine shiners and they're pretty prolific all through the Ozarks. But those three carmine shiners, uh, Ozark minnows, and central stone rollers. Those are the three main main food sources and. Yeah, they don't get very big. Yeah, I mean, you can tie them in a couple of different sizes and pretty well be covered for, you know, spring, summer, and fall. Yeah. When, when you're rigged up and you're out there and you mentioned kind of turning a corner and you're hitting a different, you know, it's a deep pool versus you were coming through current. How often are you are you changing up? Is it every bend of the river or do you kind of stick and stay and, and go up back and forth, like up and down I mean, certain sections? I, I, don't, I don't want people to think this, you know, I mean, this, a hundred percent truth is it depends on who's fishing. Okay. If it's a guy who can pick up a, you know, 250 grain sink tip line and, you know, with a 25 or a 30 foot sink tip and, and he can bomb that thing 50 or 60 feet and, and put it in the size of like a spare tire. Yeah. Then we're switching rods just about, you know, I, sometimes we're anchoring up. Sometimes we're, we're, backing up into some eddies we're fishing some current sometimes we're getting out of the rafts and we're fishing some some um you know a riffle or a run a a tail in a tail out (laughs) but if it's somebody who's brand new who who's you know learning to double haul or can't double haul and is pretty limited with their cast um you know a lot of times 
we're changing flies versus changing rigs. Okay. Adding to the leader, taking away from the leader. Um, I don't fish any of the poly sinking leaders. Uh, so, you know, we may bounce around between like a, a short, uh, heavy uh, sink tip. Uh, um, it, it, it's easier for a less experienced caster to cast a 15 or a 10-foot sink tip line than it is somebody to cast a 30-foot sink tip yeah, line. Yeah, sure. Somebody who doesn't know how to shoot the line or, you know, they're not familiar with casting a fast rod or whatever. Uh, so, you know, you can you can tie weighted flies. I use a lot of split shot. I'll even carry around a couple of different tungsten uh, beads or cones, and we'll put them on almost like a Texas rig okay. uh, for somebody. Uh, so that, you know, you're getting extra weight on the fly to get it down, but they're not having to struggle casting, you know, a heavy sink tip line. But, you know, for the most part, you can do, you know, most of the year, I, I say probably 75% of the time you can get away with like a six or seven or an eight weight floating line. But you got to be ready to add to your leader length or take away drop down sizes so that you can get to attain depth faster um, or longer just so that you can get a little deeper. Um, and then, you know, you, you adjust the weight of your fly. Um, a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll fish like a tandem rig yeah. and a lot of times clousers, you know, clousers are something that, uh, they're, 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 they're pretty streamlined. They're not real bulky. So they're not slowing down your sink rate. They're simple to tie. You can sacrifice them, but we'll tie a clouser on that's weighted and be fishing an unweighted fly behind it that normally we would fish on sink tip line for somebody who's a little bit more of an experienced caster. So I, I'm getting off in the weeds, but, you know, if if somebody's casting is, you know, above average and, you know, they're they're a pretty uh, experienced guy, man, we, we may fish, we may change rods every 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, okay. Um, and... With the, the, the rafts that I've got, I mean, one raft I've got, well, two rafts I've got a four-rod carrier, and one of the mini raft I've got a two-rod carrier. So we're always at least with four rods rigged up, and sometimes we'll have six rods rigged up at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And they'll all be, you know, usually two of them are the same, and then everything else is a little bit different as far as fly size, fly type, all bait fish, but different species of bait fish, um, and then different configurations of leader uh, formulas or lengths and then you know 15 foot fast sink five foot moderate sink intermediate line uh or, or floating line yeah so you just kind of want to have the right weapon when you need it so you can kind of rotate through and and pick up the right rod at the right time that's right and we don't have to get to a lot of depth as far as you know i, I think that the Illinois, the the three sections or the three stretches of it that I fish the most, I think the average depth is like five and a half feet. Okay. So you don't need a whole so, lot of depth to get no, down and, no. and fish and, heavy. Yeah. And if, and if you're in five and a half feet of water and it's not heavy current, most of the time those fish are going to move half of that. So, you know, gotcha. if you're two and a half, three foot deep, if they're going to eat, they're going to come up to it. Okay. If you're in heavier flow, you're going to have to get closer to them. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe they, they're they a little more efficient as far as 
letting the water do the work to bring them the food than we give them credit for. So, you know, if it's heavier current, you know, you're going to need to be a little bit deeper, closer to the bottom, closer to the cover anyway. But, you know, if, if you're, say, three foot of water and it's heavy current and you've got substrate on the bottom that's rocks the size of basketballs, you know, those fish can move up, you know, a time, at least one, if not one and a half times the size of that cover and still be relatively close to the, to the structure, to the current breaks. You know okay. what I'm saying? So they hang you close don't have to, to that be, cover. Yeah. Yeah, you're you don't have to be right on the bottom, but you got to be close enough to them that they're going to run out, and grab it, and you know feel like they can tuck back in and get it get out of current. Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder, you know, so knowing that helgramites and and crawdads are only two percent of their diet combined throughout the year. I mean, do you ever tie on a crawdad? Every once in a while, um, but. It's like last resort, you know. I mean, yeah. if we're just not catching them on anything else, or you know, if somebody who just, you know, so so one thing that I've been tying lately is uh, like a jigged streamer okay. on sixty and ninety degree hooks, yeah, and like balanced leeches, um, and floating them underneath the indicators because a lot of times I'll get you know women or wives or kids or. Uh, buddies of buddies who aren't very experienced and you know they can't go out they want to fly fish but they can't go out and make 300 cast you know before lunch yeah <laughs> you know so we'll tie on an indicator and put some kind of streamer pattern underneath it and basically just float it like we would if we were trout fishing yeah and and and, and we've been catching a few fish like that um Still kind of experimenting with it. I mean, I've done it a little bit, but there's definitely different types of water that it's a lot more, um, you know, productive. Um, and it's not the the best way to do it. But, you know, if you got somebody who's getting tired or getting frustrated because they can't make the cast, you know. Um, so that's something that I've kind of been playing with. But, um, and it's just a learning experience, you know. Yeah. You just got to test and find something to experiment experiment with. Yeah. So, you know, we'll tie crawdads on and, and, and fish with them. And, you know, a lot of guys will show up and uh, they'll be like, Hey man, check this out. I tied these crawdads. Smallmouth love crawdads. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. (laughs) We'll fish them. Yeah. If you want to wait until after we're done fishing them. Yeah. These crawdads suck, man. I didn't even catch a fish on them. I'm like, well, yeah, to be honest with you, there's not a lot of crawdads in here, you know, so. Oh, man. Um, that's crazy. I mean, that's good to know, though, because I feel like there's so many, that, that's just like, that's what you think of, or that's what you heard growing up, and I'm sure, you yep. know, you would yep. probably agree it depends on the on the river, it depends on the creek that you're, you're in, but it's like, you got to know your river. That's the point, is you kind of got to know where you're fishing yep. at. Yep, yep. Man. Yep, and then, you know, I really think, and... I owe some of that to uh, the, these two older guys that I fished with, and they're from Louisiana, of all places. Okay. Um, and and these guys came up, and uh, this guy, Drew, he called, and we talked on the phone. He's like, hey, Donovan, you know, I found you on, on the internet, and um, me and my buddy, we want to come up and, and catch smallmouth, and we've caught smallmouth, you know, pretty much everywhere you can catch them, but we've never come to Oklahoma to catch smallmouth. So anyway, 
you know, they come up and we, we talked about bugs. Both of them were into balsa wood divers and poppers, turning balsa wood, painting these things up. And uh, to be honest with you, what happened, we, we're floating down one of the sections of the river that I had fished a lot. Um, had fished with uh, a friend of mine who grew up on the river and his dad guided trips there like in the 60s. And oh, he taught me a bunch of stuff, floated through there with, you know, with some of my family early, early on. And uh, anyway, we're, we're floating down this one section and we're three quarters of the way into uh, the float of a, a, on the third day of a three day trip. And, you know, I mean, we were floating a day, going back to the lodge, floating a day, going back to the lodge. It wasn't like we were staying on the river. But okay. anyway, uh, we're going down this stretch, and we'd been, we'd fished a lot. And uh, anyway, the the guy up in the front, his name's Drew. He's, he's, he's tired. You know, both these guys are retirement age. And we had been fishing a hard and heavy, heavy sinking lines. And anyway, he's, he's just up, he's just going for a boat ride. Yeah. You know, and he's looking off to the right and the bank that we're fishing is off to the left. And it's just this big, deep cliff and, uh, you know, a lot of heavy structure and, you know, moderate current. And anyway, he's like, hey, Donovan, do you ever fish this bank on the right? I said, no, we never do. And he said, well, he said, there's something over there chasing bait fish. He said, it's something pretty big because some of them fish are jumping are pretty big, you know, on the bigger size. Yeah. So I start paying attention and looking and. I said, well, we can go try it. So, you know, I row us over there, and we beach the raft, and we get out, and we walk back upstream. And over the course of the next hour, those two guys caught six fish over four pounds, and the biggest one was almost seven. No way. And I had never fished. Yeah, I had never fished that section of the river. I'd never fished that bank ever, and I had been through there a hundred times. And I'd never fished that stretch of the bank. And and come to find out what it was, it, it was the the river, for whatever reason, there was a bunch of big timber there, like big trees, um, in waist deep, moderate current. For but for whatever reason, that's where all the bait fish wanted to be. Okay. And those the big smallmouth had just came in there, and they were holding around all of those logs, all of the every tree that we could find. And this wasn't like brush piles or deadfalls. These are like telephone poles. Okay. They're like graveled clean. in. Yeah, clean graveled in, big branches. There wasn't a bunch of twigs, and all of those smallmouth were holding on the shaded side of those logs. And the bait fish were in there by the hundreds. And uh, anyway, those two guys put on a clinic. And yeah. I, I, I learned a lot by watching those two guys fish and realized that, hey, man, however good you think you are, there's always somebody who's got to show you something new. Yeah, for and sure. I, if, if he hadn't said something, I'd still be floating through there going past that spot every time. <laughs> now, it's like point stop. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. it, it's a planned stop on every trip. And I tell people, you know, about that experience, you know, hey, this spot right here. And I think those big fish hang out in that hole because, you know, it, it's three quarters of a mile long. It's deep, a lot of heavy structure, but we had never caught any big fish in there just because, I mean, there, there's just so many places for them to hide. And 
you know, we were we were we were fishing for them like you would largemouth. Yeah. And focusing on the structure. And we were catching fish, but we weren't catching five and six and you know, six and three quarter pounders. Yeah, not the big guys. So yep. I remember that trip very, very well. And uh yeah, now we fish that bank and I look for water like that and I pay attention more to you know, I'm always looking at the banks or looking for for bait fish to be skipping and and jumping, and if something's in there, pushing them and working them, and then trying to figure out, you know, what could that be? What bait fish is that, and why are they over there? And you know, what kind of what kind of fish are going to be chasing them? So, um, anyway, yeah, I, I, I owe I owe some of that to. Uh, to the two guys from Louisiana. Yeah, those two, those those big fish were probably sitting there, and you said it was your hundredth time going by there. They're probably looking at like, oh, there goes Donovan again on the other bank. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Let's stay over here. <laughs> you don't even know we're over here. <laughs> yeah, I recognize that boat. Yeah, yeah. So, but now we got their number. Yeah, so, yeah, that's you know, for sure. We, we sneak up on them now and um, fish that area pretty pretty hot and. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty consistently, and that's that's one of my favorite places to go. And every time we go through there, and I, I I either see a big fish or you know we hook a big fish. I always think about those two guys and like, <laughs> man, I wonder how many big fish I missed through here before those guys asked me if we could go over there and fish it. You know, so, yeah, seriously. Uh, but uh, it was a good dose of humility and a, a good <laughs> lesson to learn. You know, so don't don't ever be afraid to try something new. Yeah, definitely. Um, Another thing, so you, you mentioned the data, the survey stuff, all that, you know, all the stuff that, that you've kind of implemented in the way that you fish. Um, I think you told me when we first kind of linked up over the phone, you keep all of that in a, like a spreadsheet. And so you can kind of go into your spreadsheet and know like this time of year, this day, whatever, I caught this on this. Like, is it pretty? Yeah. Are you like a data intensive guy? Like you, you love the well, data. And you keep it like no, up to par. No, man, I, I was like horrible in school. And I mean, <laughs> you know, I would I would cram for tests like the night before the test, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and I forgot everything I learned that day to the next day, you know. Yeah. But the 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 thing that I have realized, you know, with the smallmouth and you know the the they're predictable and. You know, getting to do this day in, day out, you know, month after month, year year after year, I, I just, I started seeing things to where I was like, man, I remember catching a big one in here a couple of years ago. You know, I wonder if this is the same fish. So, you know, so I started taking pictures um, and, you know, wish that I could document it better um, by you know, like, like tagging the fish or, you know, taking a picture of the fish and, and keeping some record of, you know, this is where the fish was at on the river. You know, here's a distinguishing characteristic, be it, you know, a mark or a fin separation or whatever, you know, with this, with this fish, um, and and try to keep track of it. But, so what I've done is, yeah, I took all of those those surveys that I got, all the information, I put it together and and put it into basically a spreadsheet that made sense to me yeah. as far as the types of bait fish, the types of water that they want to be in, and the times of year that they should be there. So, you know, there's there's dozens and dozens of species of bait fish in the river, but 
I broke it down into I want to know the top ten. Okay. Well, the top ten got kind of colluded, be, polluted because, you know, that that ten has a lot to do with the water types, the time of year, whether they're spawning. And then when you get into the the late summer, early fall, you have that bait fish spawn. And personally, that's the hardest time of year to fish because those fish are keyed in on basically like trout-sized streamers. You know, okay. I'm talking like, like 14s and 16s, you know, bait fish spawn that are three quarters of an inch long. Yeah, that's tiny. Um, yeah, and they're just crushing them by the thousands. I mean, it's not like they're keying in on one, and it's tough to, you know, I can I can, I can, can pull out a pocket seine or get a Gatorade bottle and, you know, cut the top off of it and get out of the water or get out of the raft and get into the water and get into a current seam or something, man, and give me 10 minutes. And I can tell you, there's the fish that they're they're blowing up on. Yeah. But there's 10 million of them in a 10-foot radius, and we're going to tie some flies tonight, and we're coming back tomorrow. You can make 10 million casts, and you're not going to get a bite because yeah. <laughs> there's, there's 100 million of those fish, and they're not really – they're like filter feeding, and they're just – you know, flushing, they're get, like just swimming into them with their mouth open. Yeah. <laughs> so they're not really keying in to one specific fish. Gotcha. And 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 they're tough to catch that way. But um so yeah, taking those those all of those bait fish, I, I I put it down to six. So the 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 magic six and you know I've got them broken down by <clears throat> their size basically in the spring, the summer, and the fall, um, the types of water that they want to be in. And then, you know, that's kind of how we approach it to where, you know, and, but then you can get out, you can sane, you can, you know, you can, you can try to flush the fish. Um, you know, if, if they're feeding heavily, you can massage their belly, you know, and sometimes they'll cough up what they've ate. If you can see them feeding on the bait fish and you can look down and see that the, you know, the same type of bait fish is in the water, that that's about the best way to figure out exactly what they're eating on. But, you know, I've pretty well got it figured out to, you know, in the summer or in the spring, in the fall, this is what they should be feeding on. This is what we're going to start with. And, you know, we'll stick with three or four different bait fish patterns and one or two different sizes. And if that's not working, then we'll go to, you know, number four or five and six. But, yeah. you know, the, no matter where you're at in the river, one of those six bait fish patterns are going to be what they're feeding on. Okay. And, uh, you know, but just approaching it like that, like you said earlier, not so much the type of water that the smallmouth want to be in, but what type of bait fish should be there, the size of the bait fish that they're and and tie those patterns to a T, man. I mean, you know, spend some time. I mean, I, I've I've wasted a lot of money tying up a bunch <laughs> of different bait fish patterns. Oh yeah, I'm that, sure. That, that, that were suggestive, you know, that were they look good to me, but they don't look anything like the fish that's in the river. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's what's changed changed a lot for me and uh, definitely owe a lot of success to that yeah yeah absolutely yeah some of the the imitations you have i'm just i sit back and i wonder i'm like how many iterations did he go through to get to that <laughs> <laughs> that one that he just tied? i got a lot of a lot of free time on my hands <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. But but I enjoy it, you know, and and you know, I, I think that's the thing about like fly fishermen tend to be a little more detail oriented, yeah. you know, and and uh you know, I, I just I'm just surprised that there haven't been more people and I think it's catching on. I really do. Uh but you know just, I mean, you're putting all of this time into going out and trying to catch one. I mean, you're taking something that's difficult, which is catching a big smallmouth, and you're making it more difficult by trying to do it with a fly rod. Yeah, right. And, I mean, you got to hedge your bets somewhere. And, you know, throwing what they want to eat when they want to eat it, that's your best, that's your best bet, man. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, go fish every <laughs> chance you get, but... You know, if they're if they're used to eating foot long hot dogs all the time, man, you can't throw a cheeseburger in front of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's totally. It sounds obvious. It's but we we so we so like to complicate things. I feel like when we go yeah. out there and we're yep. like, oh, I got to throw this, or I just tied this, and I think it looks really great. So they're gonna think it looks yeah. really great. And it's just like well, just it's confidence flies too. You know, I mean, yeah. confidence flies. You know, like and, and you're right. You know, guys will come to the lodge, man, and and they'll bring three years worth of fly tying material and they're there for three days you know and we'll sit around and you know grill some steaks and you know drink a few beers and talk and get to know each other and then we'll start tying flies and you know they'll be tying these just like general uh generalized bait fish patterns like well this looks like a bluegill i'm like dude that's cool i never seen a bluegill up here yeah <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Like, how about crawdads, man? What do you think about this crawdad? That's cool, but I hadn't caught a fish on a crawdad in like three years. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. So, oh, man. But orange darters, man. That, that's a, that's Look up orange banded darter or a cardinal shiner in spawning colors or, you know, uh, a central stone roller. Like, well, what the heck are these? <laughs> that's what you need to be buying, man. That's yeah. what they're eating. Oh man, that's so, awesome! I'm sure that like that then gives them the confidence, like, oh, this guy's like talking about species. I don't even know what they are, so they have to be good, right? Yeah, yeah, and and you know, but I got into the macro fishing. So Kobe Farquhar, he's one of the uh, wildlife biologists here in Oklahoma, and he takes care of the the southeast part of Oklahoma, down around Broken Bow, um, you know, all the way up to like Fort Smith, and he's a fly fisher. He's a fisherman, period, and the guys a super fishy guy he's into macro fishing he's got these little clear um acrylic containers that he'll he'll go out and catch all these different species of darters and mm. and bait fish and you know he'll put them in those little acrylic containers and take pictures up close pictures and oh, cool. um anyway i've got to talking to him yeah and and you know that really got me excited so so now i've got this micro fly rod it's basically like a a four foot zero weight fiberglass fly rod no way with a with a zero weight reel on it and uh i've never heard of a couple guys oh well so we go out and when we're just fishing like having a good time we don't try to catch the biggest fish the competition is who can catch the smallest fish (laughs) and and then it turns into who can catch the most different species yeah so you know and that's what we're doing man we're literally catching the minnows and uh, and then we're trying to document them and keep track of, you know, how many different species we were able to catch that day and um, taking pictures of them and then looking at them. And, you know, that, that has helped along with tying, you know, because um, 
like the central stone rollers, man. There's a coloration for a female in the spawn and coloration for a male in the spawn. Well, in the spawn, the males are the ones that actually tend to the nest. So mm, the yeah. females are quite as as popular or as plentiful as the males because, you know, they lay the eggs and then they disappear and the males are the ones that stay up in the shallows where, you know, most of the time they're getting fed on. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, some of the, the you know, the carmine shiners, um, you know, pretty much all of them, females and males, have the same coloration, but the males are a little bit smaller. So anyway, yeah. that macro fishing or That's micro cool. fishing and taking pictures of those different bait fish is has really helped me look at pictures and be like, well, I'm going to tie something like that and see if I can catch a bigger fish on it. And, you know, that that's where a lot of those patterns that I came up with have, have came from is micro fishing and catching those, those bait fish patterns. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's very cool. It's like, it's such a unique way. I would never think to pull out like a tiny little fly rod to catch bait fish and minnows and stuff like that. But well, I, I can see how it would help. Absolutely. Well, especially you get a couple of guys that are, you know, that are, are as passionate about it, and then you're like, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch ten. Oh yeah, well, I'm gonna catch eleven. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know? So you go out and you you try to catch ten or eleven different species of fish, and then you're taking pictures of them. And well, I caught eight, but mine are all bigger than yours. Yeah. You know? Well, I caught a male and a female. Yeah. Oh <laughs> so, man, competition. Make it a competition. That's, that's right. That's, that's great. So what else do you do? I mean, um, when you're not smallmouth fishing, what what does your year look like? And I know just the other night you were talking about you were staying up late catching sand bass. What what do you do kind of the rest of the year? Yeah, um, man, anything I catch on a fly rod, um, you know, and and I got spinning rods, and you know, take people fishing. I mean, you know, in the beginning it was all about fly fishing because that's what I liked and that's what I was passionate about and that's what I wanted to do. But you can't. I mean. It, it's not something that people would call and be like, hey, man, I want my wife to come with me or I got a buddy and we want to come and fish, but he doesn't fly fish. But dude, hey, your money's all the same. Yeah. Bring come, your spinning rod. Come on. And bring your $100 bills and we're going to go fishing. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, and, and I grew up bass fishing and, and fish bass tournaments and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I can rig up a couple of different, you know, donkey rigs. A lot of people don't know what that is, a bait fish a uh, pattern for, you know, working glide baits or jerk baits with a bait casting rod. But, you know, spinning rods, we can we can go I can roll power bait balls as good as anybody and we can go <laughs> catch trout on power bait. So, you know, I mean, doing this full time and fishing to pay the bills and, you know, two kids in college and, you know, car payments and all that stuff, man, it it, it can't turn anybody down. Sure. So I prefer to fly fish. I like to fly fish. It's pretty much all I do. Occasionally, you know, I'll run a spinning rod if we're uh, crappie fishing or, um, you know, sand bass. I really don't spinning rods. Sometimes I'll run a spinning rod if I go go uh, smallmouth fishing with some guys that aren't fly fishermen. But most of the time I'm fly fishing. So for me, you know, through the winter, say January to March, January, February, I'm, I'm tying flies. Um, I'm doing presentations. Um, I got hooked up with uh, a couple of clubs in Texas, in Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh, got got several close, lifelong friends uh, through 
fly fishing organizations, Fort Worth Fly Fishers and Dallas Fly Fishers, Collin County Fly Fishers, which is up north uh, around Sherman area, North Dallas area. Uh, but I, I do a lot of seminars, a lot of teaching. Um, I've put put on three Euro nymphing classes for trout. Yeah, I saw you just had how that to go out. the other day. Yep, just just did one uh, weekend before last down at Broken Bow. Uh, this past weekend, I was up at Roaring River. Um, spent some time with a, a veterans group and Trout Unlimited out of Tulsa. Saturday, I go to uh, Possum Kingdom with Fort Worth Fly Fishermen. Next week, I go to the Guadalupe down at New Bromfels with another group of guys from from Texas catching trout, um, teaching them how to Euro nymph, um, and then the white bass run is going to start. Generally, here you guys are a little bit later than us. The guys in Texas are a little bit earlier. Um, March every March, there is a a big uh, fly fishing uh, expo in Fort Worth. Okay, that uh, that the Tarrant Water. Uh, district and the city of Fort Worth put on um, pretty prestigious deal, kind of by invite only. Got hooked up with those guys a couple years ago, um, so I'll be there. That's the uh, second weekend in March, and then our white bass run here normally starts by the end of March, and we'll fish uh, white bass March, April, probably the first part of May, depending on w- water, rain, yeah. weather. Um, and then sand, uh, 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 once the sand bass or the white bass is over, then we roll right into smallmouth, and it's going to be smallmouth all the way through September into this year was early October. Um, a couple years ago, my, one of my best days catching smallmouth was Black Friday, late, late, late November. Oh, really? Um, but th- this this past year, it got cold pretty fast. We had a cold rain come through. Water temperatures dropped, um, and the numbers go down. I mean, you know, the, there's 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 a couple different types of people that come to smallmouth fish with me. You got the guys that want to catch big numbers and big fish, and then you got guys that don't care about numbers, but they want a five-pounder. Okay. So yeah. September, early October, that's generally when you're not going to get a bunch of bites, but the ones you do get, it's going to be quality. Yeah, the trophies. Uh, July, August is, is you know, there's going to be some big fish mixed in there, usually early in the morning or late in the evening, but there's going to be 100 bites in the middle. So, you know, we're going to catch, catch them from, you know, six and eight inches long, hopefully up to six pounds. But, uh, and then once we get into October, uh, usually take a couple weeks off and deer hunt. There you go. And then... Trout stuff starts up in November, tie a bunch of flies, uh, Christmas, uh, put together a bunch of boxes. Um, you know, smallmouth flies has gotten to be very, very popular. And and trout flies. I mean, I send trout flies literally all over the all over the country. And I used to do a bunch of carp fishing, man, but th- this past year I didn't really get a bunch of time carp fishing. But yeah. uh I still like chasing carp every chance I get, but uh that's the smallmouth, pretty tricky, isn't it? The the car. I I haven't done it a whole lot. I've done it one time, um, in in a competition over at the all species. I had we had yeah, to catch a yeah. catch a carp, and that was the first time I ever got to do that. And um, I was just like, wow, I didn't. You know, you always see them in the river, but I was they never bite at anything that you throw. At least when you're smallmouth fishing or whatever. Right, right. And right. then we caught one, and I was like, 
whoa, that's actually really cool. Hey, I wish I knew how to do man, that. Man, they, I, I tell you what, man, it is a totally different. Um, they're not a lot different than trout and smallmouth. They're visual feeders. And again, one of those things, I mean, I've won a couple of big carp tournaments and something that I've learned with them is if they're eating rust brown damselfly nymphs that are a size six, you're not going to catch them on a size eight and you're not going to catch them on a light olive. Wow. They are super, super selective. Okay. But if you know what they're feeding on and you can get it to them without spooking them, they're super aggressive. Yeah. And they'll move a long ways. And when they hit, they hit hard and Dude, they fight even harder. They're huge too. They get so big. Like to fight yep. one of those and yep. bring it in, it takes a long time. Yep. Yep. Because a lot of times, I mean, they're leader shy. You yep. know, they're super in tune with what's going on. Um, and, and I mean, I did a lot of research on carp. Their lateral line encompasses 90% of their body. They have like a 180 degree field of view. They taste, they smell, they talk, they can communicate. Whoa. Um, they, they will be around when the cockroaches are here, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in my opinion, they're the smartest fresh and fresh, uh, smartest fish in fresh water. No doubt. Oh man. That is, yep. that makes me yep. want to catch them even more. <laughs> Yeah, they're fun. And, I mean, you get over here, man. We, we need to – I know you got a lot of stuff going on with the brand-new kid and all, but, yeah. uh, you know, it would be awesome for you to get over here for one weekend. And, you know, if, if we can time the weather right, man, we'll go catch sand bass, we'll go catch smallmouth, we'll go catch trout, and we'll finish it off with some 20- and 25-pound carp on a, <laughs> in a knee-deep mud flat, man. Oh, and, come on, man. You're yeah. just teasing me now. That sounds yeah, that's, awesome. That's, that's a good time, you know, so – um, and we can do that literally just jump on the four wheeler and ride down the road at the lodge, man. I mean, we got a, a real nice neck, uh, back in the, the lake, uh, back in one of the coves where carp will move into to feed and smallmouth. Occasionally the lake fish will be up in there, but in the spring of the year, it's one of the better creeks for sand bass. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's what you were hooking up uh, on the other night. You guys stayed yeah, up man, what? So, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. We were out till. 1130 i mean way way late but yeah. um yeah right now and and i talked to one of the guys uh his name's scott hood he's a uh, real active he's on the national board with trout unlimited one of the the most um I mean, just a super super experienced knows a lot about fly fishing and every species of fish um and we were talking this past weekend man and uh Anyway, buddy of mine, he goes out and fishes the Illinois River on Thursday and and uh, talked to him. And he's like, dude, I caught 80-something fish in two hours. Mm. And I'm like, what? Wow. He's like, yeah, sand bass, man, sand bass. Caught a couple trout, caught a walleye. Uh, he said, but mostly sand bass. So anyway, go back in there, same stretch of the river, and same thing, man. It was sand bass after sand bass. And I don't mean... 10 and 12 inches. I'm talking like 14, 15, and 16 inches. Big ones. Dude. And, 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 and they were there. And I mean, we started catching them and didn't stop catching them. And then finally, we're like, dude, we got to go to bed. <laughs> you know, we, tired. We've, been, we've been going since before daylight, man. And then by the time we get back home, it's going to be one in the morning. God. Uh, so, but it's got to be a water temperature thing. Uh, but, you know, pretty excited that they're there now. And, you know, here it is January. Man, if they hang out for another six or eight weeks, 
there ain't no telling what it's going to be like when the rest of them show up. Yeah, seriously. What do you think the snow and, like, this kind of weather does to them? Man, in the tailwater where we're at, below the lake, it doesn't have much effect. Because that water's coming out, you know, 50 to 80 feet below the lake or below the surface. and, And that water's not being affected by, you know, any kind of weather changes right now. What is affecting it is... Um, you know, the runoff. So where we were catching those fish is a big drainage uh, right below the discharge of the lake within a couple hundred yards uh, of the discharge. There's a, it's called Redbird Creek and it feeds in coming in from the east and it's just a big drainage area. Um, Not crazy big, but it catches a lot of runoff and, uh, you know, once the snow melts, if that stuff is cold and it drops to water temperature, it may push fish up further in between the spillway or the discharge of the lake and that where that creek is at because oh. the inflow of that creek is colder. But there's always minimal flow coming out of the, you know, out of the sluice gate. Okay. Uh, so there's going to be a, a zone there that it, it's, I'm pretty interested to find out if this cold water running in, you know, those fish may move up. And all that's going to do is condense more fish into a smaller area. Yeah. Um, above the cold water. Gotcha. So. Yeah. But they've been there for a while. I mean, we were catching them. Middle first experience I had with them was uh, the twelfth of December, and uh, I was in that same stretch of the river, and I caught nine different species of fish, and I never left that stretch. So all, all on the same um, fly, same setup, and. Yeah. Yep. Dude. Yep. Same fly, six weight floating line, stripping a little white streamer. Wow. That's awesome. Man, yep. that's so cool. Well, you you've definitely you've convinced me. Um, I'll have to get over there pretty soon here in the next couple of months and and uh we'll find some time to to go do everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I would look forward to it, man. And um yeah, we need to talk again. I, I wanna I wanna I want to tell you about the uh, the fifth. You know, you're talking about the Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, over there at Dally's, and you guys catching those carp. Uh, something that you may think about, man, is the the group at Tulsa, the Trout Unlimited chapter in Tulsa. They've taken that idea a few years ago, and they spun off with it, and they have their 15 species challenge, where you have 15 weeks to catch 15 listed species. Okay. Uh, well, there's 14, and then the 15th is a is a wild card. It's basically any fish that isn't listed in the in the 14. Uh, but yeah, that's cool. a lot of fun, man, because, you know, now it's turned into that we've been doing this for a few years. Now it's a race to see who can do it in three or four days. Oh, yeah. You're uh, trying to accelerate yeah. the timeline for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're so, definitely a competitor. I, I'm, I'm getting that, uh, that sense is no matter what it is, you're trying to push it to that next level. Yeah. Yeah. You want to just do a little bit more, a little bit better, a little bit faster. Yeah. But uh, but that's a lot of fun, man. And I mean, and I enjoy trying to, you know, to, to, to do it as quickly as possible. But, you know, now it's turned into doing it two and three times through the course of the year, um, you know, or doing it in places that you haven't done it before, you know, going yeah. to a certain, certain body of water to catch a, a red ear sunfish, you know, or you know, a, one, a red spot chub or, you know, a gar or a carp or, you know, catch a smallmouth somewhere that you haven't caught one in the past, channel catfish, you yeah. know, I mean, it, it's, uh, 
it's a lot of fun. But just just pushing yourself to see what you can do. And like I said earlier, man, doing it with a fly rod, just taking something that's difficult and making it a little bit more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that definitely sounds cool. Well, I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point and, and we can uh, maybe, maybe right before that competition or um, just, you know, we'll have you back on because – I want to get into the carp fishing. I want to talk a little bit more detail about just like specific species and, and stuff you got going on. So we'll for sure make time to have you back on and, and we can do another episode on, on something. Look forward to it, man. We got Look plenty of topics to, to cover. Right on. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, if I can help you out or you get over this way, you give me a shout and we'll get together. Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Donovan. You take care. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and Kyle Plunkett and produced by Daniel Matthews. For guest recommendations, episode ideas, and general questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, we love making this show and being able to offer this podcast to y'all for free. But if you're listening and you want to support the Ozark Podcast to allow us to travel even further and meet more interesting people, head over to our Patreon and sign up to join our most loyal listeners. Let me tell you, these folks are 100% certified Ozarkins. And of course, we can't forget to thank our good buddy, J.D. Clayton, for providing the amazing music for today's episode. Check out his website to see where he's touring next at jdclaytonofficial.com. Now, sit back and enjoy his song, American Millionaire. Well, I'm on the road. And I'll be back home
it's all up in the air But you know I'll be an American being there